Good morning, New Song Church. Nathan and I are in Carlinsville, Illinois this morning. We are preparing for our presentation to the National RV Maps Volunteers Convention. We need your prayers tomorrow at 3.30 will be uh, the, the important time because we'll be playing our video presentation with a little live presentation backup. And then a nice surprise for you, Lynn Blankenship, who is the widow of Jim Severn that planted our church, she will be coming in this evening, and my wife and Lily coming too, uh, to be there to help work the booth uh, a little bit, talk to folks, and bring a face to the history of New Song. And so she's coming in this evening. We're so excited about that. She'll be here uh, through tomorrow, through the presentation. And then also, Pastor Roger Coleman, who is a pastor previous to me, he's the one that sat my wife and I down and said that God told him at the funeral for Pastor Jim that we were to be the next pastors for New Song. And so we now have a full representation of the history of New Song, uh, uh, the, the actual people, and that's gonna just add so much to our presentation and our time here at the RV Maps Convention. With that, I want to say that uh, this has drawn my attention back to the importance and how God has created a miraculous um, heritage for New Song. But it's reminded me that that's not where I started. My call to ministry, why I'm here as your pastor, has everything to do with who is filling in for me today in the pulpit. I can't think of anybody else I'd rather have fill the pulpit today than my dad, Clyde Brummett. He's the reason I'm in ministry today. God called me, but he prepared me by seeing a man of God who can be the same pastor in the home that he is in the pulpit my entire life. I love him with all my heart. I'm excited for you this morning to hear the wealth of, of wisdom and the wealth of study of God's Word over 40, more than 40 years of ministry that you're getting to hear today coming from my dad, Clyde Bunny. Would you welcome me? I love you, Dad. God bless you. I'll see you all here at the end of the week. sent me a message which is typed out in large print for a good reason <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't read it for the first service and I won't read it now because it'll get me started crying <laughs> good to have my daughter and son-in-law here Julie and Lloyd this morning it's been a long time since they, well maybe not I fill in at Rogers once in a while they've heard me preach a few times I guess since I retired but uh, <coughs> It's a pleasure today uh, to be able to fill this pulpit. I uh, had intended to uh, share a a an old the words of an old song this morning in the first service and didn't that goes along with uh, the theme of the service today and the message. And isn't it amazing when God's people pray that God puts things together? I love that song this morning. God do it again. I love that. Uh, we need a miracle. We need a miracle of uh, of salvation of souls, of uh, baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit uh, among our people. And uh, for some reason, man, I hadn't even thought of this song in years and years, but uh, if I can get to it here, I want to read uh, some of the words. I, I would have, uh, if Doris had her baby grand piano here, I probably would have been tempted to have her to play and, and uh, me sing it, although it's been a long, long time. But it's a song that's titled, It Took a Miracle. And the songwriter says, My father is omnipotent, and that you can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. Amen. Amen. I thought I'd get all the tears out of the way in that first service, and you folks wouldn't have to put up with this. But the older I get, the more emotional I get. And uh, a few other things that comes along with old age. Uh, I was sitting there before the early service, and I looked up at that pulpit, and I thought, man, that looks tall. I should have checked that out ahead of time. <laughs> I, the thought hit me, if I get real tired, I could just hang my chin on this thing and hold on. 
But when I got up here, it wasn't quite as tall as I, I had thought it was. But uh, the theme of my message this morning is miracles, the subject of it. And uh, I am sad today in one sense for some of the things that have happened in God's church down through the years. I think it was probably back in the 70s, maybe even before that, the preachers got off track and they started leading people down this path that everybody needs a miracle of financial wealth, you know. Everything seemed to turn, and preachers got off track and started, you know. Everything was about wealth, financial wealth, material goods. How many of you know this morning that God's able to supply those things in abundance? But that's not to be the, sm the focus of our searching and seeking after God this morning. Uh, those things... Uh, when, you, when you live for God, when you dedicate your life to Him, He's going to give you what you have to have. He won't necessarily give you everything that you might want, but He's going to give you everything that you have to survive, and my life is proof of that today. I, I told the people in the early service, I once was young and now I'm old, and uh, this old uh, machine is still running uh, due to some aftermarket parts that the doctors have installed. <laughs> <laughs> stents and steel hip joints and uh, just all kinds of those things, you know, that you, you acquire as you get older. But thank God that I'm still able to be up on my feet this morning and uh, to be able to share. I started in Monday morning, and I thought, you know, I really need to get with it, get this message down, and just kind of let it ferment as the week goes by and uh, be, be just overly ready early for this message well you know things get interrupted i i had a call this week early that an acquaintance uh had passed away and i was to do the funeral and a lot of other things that come along and but the main problem was i kept struggling i'd get a thought and i'd think you know i think this may be what god wants me to share and I, and it just wouldn't quite uh, uh, gel and uh yesterday was a long tiring day with that funeral and came in late yesterday evening and I was so tired I fell asleep in the recliner but way before bedtime and then when it's about my normal time to go to sleep I go to the bedroom lay down in my bed and I pop wide awake I mean just wide awake and my mind was racing like you wouldn't believe and so I got up and I began to look at the notes that I had written down and and then uh, the Holy Spirit prompted me to start writing, and I started going over almost, well, it is, 50 years now. Not all of that in pastoral ministry, but since God called me into ministry, this year would be probably 50 years, if not right, right at that. I don't remember. It was mid-60s, somewhere along there, when I finally surrendered to the, the call to ministry. But I want to share with you this morning, and I do have a Bible. I, I don't want Pastor CJ to think that I'm not, he, you know, he's been encouraging you to bring your paperback Bibles. Well, this is part of it. This is almost the whole New Testament. I have a seven-volume set that makes a complete Bible. And, you know, for old people who are weak, these are light to carry around. I've got almost the whole New Testament with me this morning. The rest of it is, is at home. But uh, I... Uh, I'm going to be tying this in with Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, the miracle that probably most of you are very familiar with of the man who was born lame, unable to walk. He was above 40 years of age and had never walked. He was carried everywhere that he had to go. And it appears from the story that most days he was carried by family, friends, someone, and laid by the gate to the temple so that he could collect alms. He could get money from people entering uh, the place of worship. And so on this particular day, uh, some of the disciples came along, and uh, Peter being one of them, and the man looked at them, you know, thinking I, I may get some money from these guys. Well, God had a different plan that day. And, you know, so often we seek miracles that are maybe misguided uh, we want one thing and God has a plan for something else and that was the case with this man that day he was not to get more money that day 
uh, but he was to get his healing. Uh, and that was a tremendous personal blessing. But, you know, that was not God's main purpose in doing that. When you read these two chapters, you discover that the main reason for performing the miracle on that man that day was so that the power and the glory of God might be revealed to multitudes. As a result of it, it ended up several thousand were saved. Uh, the, the, one of the main purposes of it was uh, to show the, the power and the glory of God so that men might realize that the one they had crucified was literally the one whom God had sent to save them. They had rejected him. They had crucified him. And in spite of that, God had raised him from the dead. And uh, as he goes on and preaches, uh, we learn later on in the scriptures here that I believe it was like 3,000 that were saved that day as a result of that one miracle. Now, let me ask you something. For a, a human life that ultimately is going to face death, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Which is more important, for that man to be healed in body, have a physical miracle, or for 3,000 souls to be saved for all of eternity? That's, that's simple to answer, isn't it? Uh, our death would be such a, a small thing in, in light of 3,000 souls being saved and, and carried in, into God's eternal presence. Uh, but God's needs sometimes to perform a miracle, God's need to perform a miracle doesn't coincide with what we think is our need for a miracle at the time. And I, I uh, went back to that time when I was in my teens, uh, I was the youngest of nine kids, raised on a farm. Didn't know it at the time, but we were poor people. Uh, my father, I know as I look back now, he, he worked really hard and struggled uh, to support uh, a, a family of 11. Uh, he and my mother and, and nine children. But I was the last one to come along, the only one out of nine born in a hospital. And they said if I hadn't been born in a hospital, both my mother and I would have died. I was born breech. In other words, I come into this world backwards, backside first. And I was what they called a blue baby. They worked with me for several minutes before they actually knew that I was going to live and survive. I, I don't agree with some of my older brothers and sisters who claim that because I was the baby, I was spoiled. Uh, I, there wasn't time to spoil anybody when you have nine children. But I was blessed to have good parents, uh, Moral parents, my dad uh, had a problem with preachers and church. Uh, he was orphaned before he was 10 years of age, uh, raised until he was 14 by an uncle and told then that the uncle had too many mouths to feed, hit the road, you can make it on your own, and that he did. And so my dad was a very hard, uh, physically fit, uh, tough man. He uh, you know, he, there was no foolishness about him. Everything was about work. Everything was about survival. Uh, but a good man. But there was a problem in our home because my mother, although she never received the experience, her father was one of those early Christians who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in spoken tongues. Back in the late 1800s, uh, he had received this experience. He had felt a call to preach, but uh, my grandmother, who died early, had said, I, I will not be married to a preacher. Back then, you know, uh, it was itinerant preaching. They traveled on horseback through the country and, and preached in different places. And she said, I'm not going to lead that kind of life. And so uh, he did not pursue that. But she, uh, she passed away when my mother was five years old. My mother married young because uh, my dad traveled, my grandfather rather, traveled around in a covered wagon. Uh, and five children living out of a covered wagon, wouldn't that be a lifestyle? Uh, he worked oil field and horse trading and whatever in the area of, of north-central Oklahoma. But Dad, uh, at some point, when he was about 18, he, he went to a Baptist church. When the invitation was given, he went down and shook the pastor's hand and said, I believe in Jesus, and I accept him as my Savior, and he signed a card and didn't stay in church uh, regularly throughout his life. He had had to work so hard in order to just survive that uh, he somehow begrudged giving any of his money to what he thought he was giving to the preacher. And so when he did go to church, it seemed back in those days the preacher would 
probably out of divine providence, really to preach on tithing or against smoking. And my dad had a problem with both. But my parents uh, didn't keep us in church. But as I said, they were good moral people. My dad was an honest man. And when I was probably 14, 15 years of old, of age, uh, my, my dad had kind of lost the battle with the family. He tried to keep all of his sons and daughters out of the Pentecostal church. But God was winning, and uh, one by one, they began getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Two of the boys had been called into ministry. And by the way, my mother's prayers had a lot to do with that. She had an old gasoline-powered Maytag washing machine, which I have the engine mounted on another old washing machine now in my place that uh, was out in a tin building out from the house. And uh, uh, she would start that old washing machine, and it's kind of loud. It sounds kind of like a machine gun going off, you know, when it's running. And then she would start praying, but the longer she prayed, the louder she would get. And if you were in the yard or somewhere close, you would hear her. And more than once... Uh, we children heard her pray, God, please give me at least one son that will preach the full gospel. You know that Oscar won't take us to church. Uh, he would have taken her to the Baptist church, but somehow she couldn't be satisfied there, and so they'd just agree not to go to church, you know. But she'd pray that prayer over and over. Out of six sons, four of them end up ordained Assembly of God ministers. And uh, But long about that age of I don't know, I, you know, it's been a long time. Some things are clear and some things are uh, at age of 75 and going on 76 are getting a little cloudy. But my dad had said to me one Sunday morning, and uh, I think it was a bribe, but he said, uh, if you'll stay home, not right, go to church with your brothers, I'll give you $5 to help me spray the chicken house. He had uh, a 1,000 laying hens and... Uh, uh, an egg operation, which it was family-owned. It wasn't a company deal. And he said, if you'll stay home this morning, help me spray the chicken house, I'll give you $5. Now, mind you, the average starting wage for just general labor in those days was uh, probably a little less than a dollar an hour. By the time I graduated from high school, my first job I started out in was unloading coal rolled steel out of boxcars for a dollar and ten cents an hour. So $5 was a lot of money, and, and I said, yeah, I'll stay home. Well, we started spraying the chicken house, and you know how they'll spook and fly, and the dust flies, and and uh, we hadn't been at it very long until that happened, and um, suddenly my dad coughed real hard, and he began spitting up one mouthful after the other of fresh blood. And uh, my dad, being the strong person he was, I, I had never seen my dad scared or frightened. But I immediately saw the fear on his face, and he turned to me. And, and mind you, I'm not old enough to have a driver's license, but I'd driven the old farm truck through the hay fields and around the farm, and, and I knew the gears and knew how to shift that. When I started, I was so small that I had to sit on the very edge of the seat to reach the clutch and the gas pedal. Uh, and uh, I would steer the truck through the hay fields while they loaded the square bales of hay. And then at other times, I would drive it on the farm. And so I, I knew how to drive it. He turned to me, and he said, can you drive me to the hospital? My mother never learned to drive. She was a nervous-type person, and she, I think, tried once or twice and just gave up on it. So she didn't drive. I said, yeah, I can, I can take you. And so we went. Long story short, uh, I drove him the four or five miles to Sepulpa, which was the closest town to us, to the hospital. The old family doctor checked him over a little bit and said, I'm going to pack your chest in ice, and we're going to get the ambulance and send you to Tulsa. They took him to Tulsa. He had a lung removed that was cancerous, and uh, they said they'd scraped his chest wall, that they'd gotten it all, and things were supposed to be fine. And then it wasn't too long after that that he began to have some memory problems. He got lost in a town that he had driven in all of his life. And a friend of his saw him driving around and around the block and stopped him and said, Oscar, what's wrong? And my dad broke down and started crying. He said, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm, I'm at. Well, uh, the next thing we knew, it got serious enough that uh, he was back in the hospital, and they drilled holes in his skulls, discovered massive tumors on the right side of his brain. 
the doctor said to my mother and the family said, uh, there's nothing we can do. Uh, you need to get your hospital bed and take him home. You don't have any kind of insurance. We'll give you a prescription for all uh, of the morphine that you need to keep him comfortable. And so we did, and there was a long nine months. My dad at that point started out, he was a muscular individual, could sling a 16-pound sledgehammer just hour after hour, uh, manual labor, uh, uh, just a very strong person. But he went from about 170 pounds down to 70 pounds in nine months in a semi-coma, paralyzed on one side, my mom taking care of him uh, day after day to the point that when he passed away, her health broke. She, she had just a mental breakdown. And I was 17 years old and uh, not a parent that could give me any help or guidance. And uh, I ended up leaving home, living on the streets of Tulsa in my car for a period of time. But I remember the day that, that my dad died, my first desire to see a real miracle. And uh, my mother sent me down the road to my brother's house. We, didn't, we never owned a phone all our life. Can you imagine that? I mean, even five-year-old kids have a cell phone these days, you know. We, we literally never had a phone all of my life growing up. But my brother did. They had an invalid daughter, and so they had a phone so that they could reach doctors and so on. But she sent me down there to call my brothers and sisters, who most of them were married and away from home, and to call a neighbor who was a nurse. Uh, my dad had started the death rattle that morning. And uh, I was not experienced enough to know what was coming uh, just from what was going on. But when the nurse arrived, she said, He's moments away from death. And uh, we joined hands around that, that bed. My brothers and my sisters, two of my brothers for this time were in ministry. One of them pastoring, another one uh, evangelizing, holding revivals. And began to pray for God to intervene and, and to bring healing. And that was my first desire to see a real miracle take place. I, I didn't really know scriptures that well. I didn't know God that well. I'd not really seen a lot of miracles in my life. In fact, I don't know if I'd seen any at that point. But I wanted God to raise my dad up. But it didn't happen. He passed away. But it had a, a, a negative effect for a while. I sort of became angry with God, restless, rebellious. And you know how you are when you're a teenager. I stayed in church mostly, but I was away from the Lord and then back to the Lord and back and forth. And uh, so God began to intervene in my life, and I met this pretty girl. She's here this morning. <laughs> and she was raised in a godly family, a family that who, well, not from her, her early childhood, but for a number of years had been in church serving God, were very dedicated people. And that was one of the things that began to turn my life around. It made me go to church because that's where I could see her, <laughs> even before I, I got a driver's license. But uh, God began to deal with my life, and we married, and uh, we had uh, Cindy, our oldest daughter, and we had Jim. Discovered after a while that Jim had almost no hearing, and uh, took him down to the altar of a little church where we attended that one Sunday morning and the pastor and people prayed for him and God totally healed him, made his healing normal. And uh, that'll tend to make you know that there's a God somewhere out there. And I, I got into the church seriously and served on the deacon board, served as church treasurer for a while. God blessed me uh, in so many ways. Here I was. I grew up on the farm. I didn't really know anything but farming. But uh, an older sister had worked for one of the oil companies for years, and she came to me and said, what are you going to do with your life? This was actually before I got married. And I said, you know, I don't really know. Uh, and she said, well, the computer field, is it, that's the coming thing. You need to get into, you need to go to school. And here I graduated from high school by that time. But uh, she encouraged me to go to Tulsa Technical College and take computer programming, which I did. 
I really hadn't even finished the course until the company where I worked found out, and they moved me from the warehouse and from unloading steel out of boxcars into the office. And I started pro programming an IBM, I believe it was called a 402 computer. Very simple. <laughs> you had a, a plug board that you, you programmed with wires. I, if I remember right, the board was divided, and each end of those wires had deals that plugged into openings in this board. And uh, we did accounting, we did inventory, we did everything on that old computer back then. God kept blessing. I moved up, uh, was uh, sometime later put uh, in charge, supervising a uh, crew of uh, 30 women, key punch operators. Anybody ever seen the old key punch cards that they used to use on computers back? My wife is the only one old enough to remember. Oh, Brother Bill does. <laughs> but, uh, and that was an experience. Uh, and ultimately, they moved me up uh, to a position. Uh, I think my title was uh, Supervisor of uh, uh, Computer Programming and Systems Analysis, something that order. And they started making great plans for me, but God was pulling at my heart. I began to, I had a dream that I was in the pulpit preaching. I thought, well, you know, I've got two older brothers who are preachers, and that's probably why I dreamed that. But down deep, I, I knew there was something deeper, and uh, uh, God kept working on me. And, and uh, you know, when you're, when you're pushing away from God's call, you, you get restless. And so I decided the thing to do is get out of the computer work. And uh, I had a friend selling life insurance, and he convinced me that was a good thing. It wasn't, but uh, I tried it. <laughs> uh, and God ultimately used that. Uh, in fact... It was through that that God uh, gave me an experience that literally shook me to the depths of my soul that made me say, yes, Lord, I'll go. I had uh, kind of, I just was not uh, motivated to really get with it that morning. And I, my, actually, my area was across Tulsa from where we lived. But I decided I'd go over into a little neighborhood that I was familiar with, not far from home, and I'd go over there and see if I could sell some insurance that morning. Driving down the street, you know, and I never did like knocking doors. Man, that's a, that's a tough way to go. You you know, you knock on doors and say, hey, I'm here to sell you some insurance. Uh, you had a better spiel than that. But I was driving along, and I looked over, and it, it looked it appeared to me a man sitting probably almost as far as from here to the back of the sanctuary. It was an area where there were no curbs and no storm sewers. It was just uh, drainage ditches beside the road. And here was this being sitting on, a, on a, this bank beside the street. And I thought, aha, there's an easy one. I'll, uh, I'll just stop and I'll sell this guy some insurance. And so I stopped short of where he was because I didn't want to startle him and uh, turned my car off. And I, I got out of the car. I'd barely put my feet on the asphalt when this being arose from where he's at and came straight towards me. And I began to notice something very unnatural. Uh, eyes that didn't look normal. They were more like uh, fire burning right into you. And he got about probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 foot from me, and he said, young man, God has called you to preach. Go. Wow. And I, uh, I got back in my car. I drove back to the house and very broken, and I, of course, was weeping and went to the dining room table and sat down, leaned over on the table, and I, I told my wife, I said, I, I've got to go. I have to answer the call. And mind you, by this time, we had a comfortable home. God had blessed us. I had a new home, a new car. Uh, I had a, a wife and children, and uh, we were comfortable. Really, really nice. Just a few blocks from Grandma and Grandpa Ranji. And Grandpa would come by every night and make sure the kids had M&Ms, spoil them. But God said, you need to go. And so I had 
right after that experience, I, I quit the insurance business. I had a friend working at Sinclair Oil Company as a, a computer operator up there, actually on a big mainframe computer, and he said, they're wanting to hire people up here if you're interested in getting back into this field. I did. And uh, worked there for some time and, and just came to the point where we said, you know, we've just got to sell out and go. Uh, we sold our home, moved into a rental house for a while while we tried to work out getting moved to one of our Bible colleges. Sold, I even sold our furniture and everything in preparation to go, and we were going to get a mobile home and go and live on, on campus and go to school. There's a lot more to the story, but time won't permit all of it this morning. But anyway, uh, God, through that miracle experience with and I'm convinced it was an angel today. I don't believe it was a, a man, a normal human being. It was just too unreal. Uh, no way to explain it unless you were there. But uh, through that, God burned in my heart the conviction that I was called to go and preach the gospel. And so we ended up in Springfield, Missouri. I got a job in their computer department at 50% of what I had been making. Uh, in my work, and so Doris was forced to go to work in what was a revival time department then. We had a national radio broadcast, uh, an evangelistic outreach. She worked there. I went to school full-time, carrying from 15 to, to uh, 18 hours of college uh, classes, worked from midnight to 8 in the morning in the computer department, and by the way, the Assembly of God executives were very good and gracious to me and very supportive uh, they they did everything they could to help us get prepared for ministry and get out into the ministry. Uh, we had started a little outreach church down in southern Missouri during that time in Springfield. For a while, we attended a local church there. And uh, ultimately, one day, I, I had a phone call from the presbyter of that section, that area in Springfield, and it really shocked me because he said, uh, you've been recommended to me. We have a small church in northeast Springfield that uh, they're without a pastor. They're a small congregation struggling. And he said, to be honest, they pretty much uh, asked their pastor to leave. And he said, it's uh, not a sovereign church. We, The district board is the one that decides whether a pastor goes there. And he said, I, I can just appoint you there, but I probably, if you're willing, I'll have them to vote on you just to see how they feel about you. And I said, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I said, Doris and I, are we are literally exhausted. Uh, she worked. The kids stayed with babysitters, and uh, Julie was just a little baby then. And uh, we, we were totally burnt out. And I thought, well, I'll go and look at it. And I went out to the neighborhood and drove through, and, and it was not an area where people had money. It was pretty much impoverished. Some of it had not yet been developed, and there was an old farm pond that was overgrown. And I noticed that, and I thought, boy, this is not a very great-looking neighborhood, you know. And I go on up to the church. Uh, they were worshiping in an old house, an old dwelling that sat back from the road. Weeds were literally taller than I am over that whole church property. There was an old two-holer that was turned upside down with the bottom of it facing the street. Now, some of you younger ones may not know what a two-holer is, but, you know, when you didn't have modern facilities, you had an outhouse, uh, and that thing was turned upside down, the bottom facing the street. Now, don't you know that was inviting to the neighbors to come to church there? The other pastor had five years previous started a building program, and he'd gotten the block walls up with the windows inserted, the trusses on, shingles on it, but the huge opening where the double glass doors entry was going to be and all that was wide open. Uh, neighborhood kids had broke the glass out of the windows that had been inserted in those block walls. Pigeons were roosting in it. Uh, it was a mess, if you get the picture. And I looked at that, and I thought, wow, that's going to be a challenge for somebody. And I went back to our, the house we were renting, and uh, I was so tired, and I had one class later that afternoon. I thought, you know, I'm going to skip class. I've just got to rest. I laid down on the bed and fell asleep, and I think Doris was at work. And uh, I had a dream, and uh, 
in that dream, I saw that old pond down there. And here was this man in that pond. He was about waist deep uh, at the beginning of the dream. And he was sinking, and he had one arm reaching up like this. And in the dream, I watched as he slowly went out of sight. And the last thing I saw was the tips of his fingers go under. And when I awoke, I immediately knew that it was a dream from God. It wasn't one of these silly dreams that you just have, you know. I knew God was talking to me. And God, not in an audible voice, but he said to me, souls are perishing. You know, when you feel like you've just, you're doing all you can do, sometimes God says you need to do more for my kingdom. And he may speak to you in that way sometimes. You feel you're so stretched, you're so weary, you're so worn. But God says, you know, here's a need in the church. You need to teach this class. You need to do this work. And uh, so I called the presbyter back and I said, you know, uh, I, I told you no, uh, we couldn't do it. But I said, I just had a dream, which I'm convinced was from God. If you're still interested, I'll go there and preach, and then the decision can be made. The church was made up of about a dozen women and one old man who had a hearing aid, but he left it at home on purpose. He didn't want to hear. Well, that's when he got his sleep, his naps, you know, was in church. But a new preacher was coming to try out, and so a couple of those ladies convinced their husband, who were younger men out in the workforce, convinced them to come that morning to, to listen to this new preacher. And those two men came to the altar and gave their heart to God that morning. Two souls saved from, from hell. And so the congregation notified the presbyter that they would like to have us come. We did go. And in one year's time, here's what God did. That building was completed. We moved into it. The congregation grew from a dozen to about 75 in that one year time. And it wasn't all from my labor. God sent help. Uh, Brother Tim Thomas, who some of you may know and some of you may not, but for the last 30-some years he's been a church planner in inner city Chicago, missionary. Right now he's a liaison uh, from that department. He ministers to young inner city pastors, travels constantly, and he's not much younger than me. But uh, Tim was singing in a, in a choir at one of the big churches in Springfield, and I'd seen him and heard him, he also sang in a quartet, and I'd, I'd seen him and heard him sing on that television program. But not long after I took that church, the phone rang, and the voice said, this is a Tim Thomas, you don't know me, but God told me to come and help you. And uh, I said, yeah, Tim, I know who you are. I said, I know we've not personally met, but I said, I've been listening to you sing with the choir and with the quartet. And I said, your, your beautiful voice has blessed me. And he said, well, God told me that I was to come and help you. Is that all right? And I said, you better believe it's all right. When will you be here? And they showed up. And Tim, I have found out, was raised by a father who was uh, a builder and a master carpenter. I mean, the man could build furniture that looked better than factory furniture. He was just talented. Tim had grown up being trained by his dad. And there was the, the brains that I needed to finish that building project. Uh, Tim got in. He helped us build. He sang in our services and blessed the people and I think on occasion would fill the pulpit for me. And uh, so in one year, in one year, God took that congregation that was about to dissolve of a handful of women and one elderly man, and he grew it to a strong uh, congregation of 75 people and you know came time when I felt like it was time for me to leave Springfield and uh, at the same time I was deciding to leave there I uh, I got a, a contact from a man who was over at one of the de main departments in, in our headquarters in Springfield I think he actually approached my wife first he knew about me he knew I had the computer background and he said uh, that he wanted to hire me uh, in his department as a liaison between his department and the computer department. And uh, 
my response was, I, you know, I feel like God called me to pastor churches. He called me to preach. And he said, oh, he said, man, you, you can travel with me. We have big conventions. You can preach sometimes. And uh, I said, well, I kind of know what the pay scale is at the Assembly of God headquarters, and I can't support a family of five on what you pay. On, and most of the time he said, oh, well, we'll give your wife a job so, you know, she can work too. Well, that's the last thing I wanted. I was tired of my kids being babysat by someone else. And I wanted a situation where their mom could be at home. And just almost at the same time, and mind you, I, I wasn't being forced to leave that church. I mean, they begged me to stay. I had men who literally cried and asked me to stay with that church. Uh, but I could have stayed there. Well, there was a third option. We got a call about a church in Oklahoma that uh, their pastor had just left. And they'd had a, a bad experience, to uh, be honest with you. Their kids were terrors. The little boy had ripped all the ivory off of the piano keys. He would scream so loud in the middle of his dad's sermon that his mother would have to get up and take him next door to the parsonage. Uh, his wife was one of those ladies who felt like she was superior to men, and she would interrupt him in his sermons and correct him in front of the whole congregation. Uh, and they'd had enough of that, and so they invited him to leave. So they weren't about to take another preacher until they examined his kids and his wife. So I get this call, and they say, now we want you to come and fill in for a weekend, knowing that I knew they were without a pastor. They said, now understand, this is not a tryout. We just want you to come in fill in for a weekend. We may, we may have you come back later and, and uh, try out for, for pastor of the church. And so here I am in this big dilemma. You know, it would be nice if God would light up a sign and say this is what you're supposed to do but he doesn't always do that and I didn't want to miss God's will and I'd been told that you need to be careful about putting out a fleece before God because you can slant it to where it'll, the results will turn out the way you want it and so I was a little leery of that but I was wrestling with this thing and my wife and I talked what, what do we do you know what do we do and so I, I finally told her I said you know what I'm telling God that when we go to Wilburton, if that's where God ultimately wants us to go, that not only will they change their mind and they'll vote on us that Sunday, because that was the Sunday coming up, and I was to give the man at headquarters an answer on Tuesday. And so I had to make a decision quick. And so I said, if God wants us to go to Wilburton, those people will change their mind and vote us on Sunday, and not only that, but the vote has to be 100% for I will not go if there's one negative vote. And uh, I, I was thinking, you know, this will be a miracle if this happens, and really it was. Uh, so we go. Uh, we get there. I don't remember if we got there Friday night or Saturday. I think we got there Friday night maybe in a motel. But anyway, whenever we arrived, uh, they scheduled us Saturday to go and take our children not only to all the deacons' houses, but to go to the church secretary's house, who uh, they were, her husband was an Italian man. He owned half of the town. They were wealthy, beautiful home, you know. And our kids were kids. I mean, I we disciplined, and I think they were good kids. But uh, CJ wasn't born yet, so you know the the end result of this this fleece. But I mean, this uh, petition I put before God, it might have turned out totally different if he'd already been born. But uh, Doris threatened them. She said, now, you know, I want you to have a good time and all, but be on your best behavior. And so we go, and when I'm had an accident, he turned a piece of cake with thick, I think, chocolate frosting on it upside down on the people's plush carpet. And they were so gracious and sweet. She was a pastor's daughter. She understood. Her dad had pastored that church previously. But... Uh, <coughs> We went to all these other deacons' homes, and I got up and preached Sunday morning, and uh, we went out to lunch. I believe some of them went back to the motel. The phone rings, and one of the deacons says, uh, Brother Clyde, would, would you and your wife mind if we, if we changed our mind and had the people to vote on you tonight? And here they told me, this is not going to be, you know, you're just filling in. That's all it is. And I said, no, uh, no, that's... That's fine, I said, with one stipulation. I said, if you vote, I won't accept it unless it's a 100% positive vote. 
and he was kind of quiet. I think he was doubting that that would happen. And the, the board had decided they wanted us to come. Our kids passed the test, and so did my wife. She didn't correct me during the middle of my sermon. She was nice. <laughs> but uh, I went back that night and preached, and they said, well, you can go over to the motel, and we'll call you a little bit later. We had walked into the, the hotel, motel, and hadn't already gotten the door closed, and the phone rings. And they said, uh, if you don't mind, bring your family and come on back over to the church. And so we go back. It's just a short distance back to the church, maybe a mile. Go back. We walk in. And as soon as we walk in, said, would you come up here to the front? We go to the front. And the deacon turns to me and he says, well, I don't know what more you could ask for. You were voted in 100%. I knew I had God's answer. We're talking about miracles. That was a miracle of divine direction in my life. You see, uh, one of God's main purposes in miracles is to promote the kingdom of God. The things we worry about so much and the things we often seek miracles for are minor things really in life. Not all of them. I know there's, you know, there's major things that we, we look to God for for miracles. Uh, when a loved one's sick and dying, uh, you know, when, when there's critical problems with children and family and whatever, uh, but I would say the majority of all the miracles that God did down through our ministry, the, the major part of them were for divine direction and for uh, reassurance that this is where God wants you. This is where you're supposed to be. And so after a time, we left that, that church, had a great ministry there, the, the uh, board had told me, said, if the church grows numerically and financially, uh, we'll give you a raise. Uh, we were on a very limited income there. And uh, CJ was born while we pastored there. And uh, we struggled financially. And during that time, my mother passed away. And with a large family and them not having a, a great home, I think my share of the inheritance was $1,000, which I had just gone to the bank there in that little town, borrowed money for us to live on. And my inheritance was enough to pay off my loan and buy me a set of pulpit commentaries, which I still have today. But we left there, and uh, I resigned with not knowing where I was going to go. And my older brother, he'd, always, he'd been my pastor. He'd performed our wedding. I saved under his ministry, and, you know, he gave me guidance. And so I called him up and told him I'd resign my church. He said, what? You've got a wife and four kids. You resigned your church. You don't know where you're going? And, uh, you know, I got indignant. My righteous indignation welled up, and I said, Look, God called me into this, and if he's not able to take care of me, I'm in trouble anyway. And he didn't like my answer. but uh, So then I, I called our district office in Oklahoma, and I said, uh, I've resigned my church, and I'm trying to find where God wants me to go. And a man by the name of John Grace, and he was a gracious person, a great man, he said, uh, oh, Brother Brummett, he said, there's only one church in the entire state of Oklahoma that's without a pastor, and you don't want to go there. I said, what? <laughs> he said, uh, why? I said, why? He said, I'm not going to tell you why, but you don't want to go there. Well, uh, I knew I, I needed to go somewhere soon. You know, I didn't want my family to be without income, and I plus I wanted to minister. And, and we contacted the church. They wanted us to come and try out. We did. We voted in 100%. Hadn't been there in no time till we learned that Satan had a real stronghold there. There was some really bad, evil things going on among some of the leadership of that congregation. But God sent revival. I never had scheduled revivals in the month of December because I knew people were getting ready for Christmas, buying presents, and I knew they'd be mad at me if I asked them to give their money, Christmas money, in the offering for an evangelist. That's what I thought. But I invited this man to come for a revival. He called me and said, you know, we, we evangelists about starving the month of December. Nobody ever wants to have a revival. I think my time's up. I'm going to really have to hurry here because there's more. Uh, but uh, I think Pastor CJ's made you late for lunch more than once, so maybe he won't scold me. But uh, we detected some just a, just a bad feeling there. 
But revival came, and God broke that situation open. He revealed, and this was another miracle. We didn't know what was going on. We knew something was wrong, very wrong. We went to the parsonage next door to the church one night, and when we lay down to go to sleep, literally it was if, as if God had sent or installed one of those screens that rolls down from the ceiling. And God revealed to me everything that was going on. Now, if you think that won't shake you up. In fact, I, I, I rolled over and told my wife, and she thought I had a dirty mind. But there was immorality, unbelievable immorality going on uh, among some of the leadership of that church. And I don't share that this morning lightly because uh, it's not a good reflection on the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something. People are people. And sometimes Satan gets a grip on people in church, and sometimes they go as far to the wrong way as they can go. But that evangelist, I knew him well. He preached the same five sermons everywhere he went. So it wasn't the evangelist. It was God. Revival broke out. And I mean, you talk about revival. Revival like I had never seen in my life. Vietnam was going on. Young men were coming home from Vietnam addicted to drugs and alcohol, their lives destroyed. Those young men started coming, getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, starting paying their tithes. I mean, they stayed there. They were saved, and, and, and they determined to stay saved. Some of them have since passed on, gone to be with the Lord. But God sent revival like I had never seen before. But during that revival, one of the men involved in the immorality there called me. He said, no, I saw him on the streets in town one day, and he said, I, I need to come to your office and talk to you. And uh, I said, I'll be in the office in the morning. He came in that morning, and he had changed his mind before he got there. And he's coming, so he said, Pastor, it's really nothing. I just, you know, just, just forget about it. I said, uh, Wayne. You just will tell me because God's already shown me the details of everything that is going on. When I did, that man literally fell out of the chair in my office, trembling like he was having some kind of spell, hit the, the carpet on his knees, and began to just openly weep and cry. He repented and uh, decided to change, but he was the one, the only one out of that whole group, including his wife, that was willing to get right with God and to change it. Long story short, I had to remove a bunch of people from their positions in the church, board members, Sunday school superintendent, youth leaders. And I think there was maybe one or two people in that church that was not related in some way. I mean, it was a family church. So I said to Doris, I said, you know, we probably shouldn't unpack the rest of those boxes because they're going to vote on us at the end of the year, and we're probably going to be moving. And uh, I stayed, and, and God began to work. And, you know, the people knew what was going on, even though I didn't. And they were so relieved that somebody had the spiritual strength to stand up and to deal with the situation and to do what was right. At the end of that year, they voted on us. We were voted back in 100%. That family stood with me against close family members because they knew I did the right thing. Uh, they were happy that somebody would take a stand against sin and and immorality. Well, we moved from there. We went to another church, which was very comfortable, most beautiful home we ever lived in, three-bedroom, three-bath, big family room. We were so comfortable, a, fine, uh, a strong financial church, uh, uh, a large sanctuary. Doris had a children's program going, about 100 kids on Sunday morning. Uh, things were great. We were comfortable. And then I get a call from Nebraska wanting me to move to Nebraska to, to consider a church there and come to Nebraska. And I said, the, there was a couple that was on the phone, and I was in the family room laying on the carpet with the phone, and Doris was somewhere else in the house on an extension. And I said, Linda, I'm not interested. Cindy, our oldest daughter, said, she's a senior in high school. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not interested. Another dream. Cindy had a part-time job. She was a senior in high school, and she worked at a, I think it was a small refinery somewhere there in the area. I think she did photography in their little newspaper or something. And, but I woke up from a dream in the middle of the night, and in that dream, Doris and I had been traveling. We were somewhere away from home, and uh, 
I had gotten a phone call, and the man on the other end was a man that I knew very well in the church, and he said, uh, Pastor, there's been a fire at the refinery, and Cindy has been air-flighted to Texas to a burn center. Now, this is a, just a dream, you know, just a dream. But what a dream. And so I, I, had, I got the phone number of this place where she was supposed to be, and I would call, and they would answer, and then they'd hang up on me. And you know, when you, you just get news that your your child has been uh, critically hurt and, and you can't reach them, and, and I was in a panic just in this dream. I was in a, in a terrible panic. And all of a sudden, I woke up, and I knew immediately that God had spoke to me. And I went, slipped out of bed so that I wouldn't disturb Doris, went into the family room, and again laid down on the carpet, and I was laying there on my face. And it wasn't an audible voice, but God said to me, you told me years ago that you would never let anything stand in the way of my will for your ministry. But now you're saying because your daughter is a senior in high school, you won't go where I want you to go. And uh, needless to say, that day I made some phone calls, checked into that church. We ended up flying to Nebraska, visiting with the church board. God moved us there. And for a southern boy, that that's the only place I'd ever lived in my life. The Nebraska blizzards and weather, was uh, that was something else. A lot of things were different. Totally different culture even. The people, good people. One of my brothers that had pastored in Minnesota for a brief time, he told me, he said, oh, bud, you don't want to go up north. They're different. And they are. They say, they say crick instead of creek. Uh, they gave Doris fits about that. She said, now... A crick is something you get in your neck. And they said, no, that's a kink. She said, no, it isn't. That's what you have in your hair. And they, they'd go round and round. <laughs> but they were, they were gracious people, kind people. But I've got to hurry. Uh, the great miracle that God did there, he brought people from nominal churches where they were not even hearing the gospel preached into that church to the point that the church filled up. We went to two services, and both services were being packed out with people. And some people would come to the early service, and they'd say, Pastor, you always share some other things in the second service, which I'm doing this morning, that you didn't share in the first service, so they'd just stay for both services, which complicated things because we went to two services so that we could handle more people. But there was one church, a large church in town, one of the old line churches where people began to come, young couples particularly, they were hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not in church. They weren't even hearing the Bible in church. They were hearing about it other places and receiving the experience, and they were coming to our church. Well, I found out later a businessman in town owned the lumberyard. He had received the experience somewhere, and he was in that church, in fact, I think on the board, and uh, he would very quietly stand aside, and if a new couple come in, he'd say, you know, we're glad you're here today, but you really need to go over to that Assembly of God church. They preach the Bible over there. And they'd come. <laughs> and uh, he sent us a lot of people. But God uh, touched many souls while we were there. Uh, probably five years of the greatest uh, harvest that, uh, that we've seen in the almost 40 years of ministry. And... Uh, the story doesn't stop there, but I'm going to stop this morning. I, I just want you to know that it's all right to ask for miracles when you have a tremendous need. If you're, if you're sick, God wants you to ask him for healing. If you're in financial need, it's, it's great to ask God to give you a financial miracle. Don't ask him to give you a miracle just so you can buy a new Cadillac. I owned one once in my life, and they're just another car. But, you know, the, the basic reason for miracles is to, is to manifest the power and the glory of God to reveal His Son who came to save you from your sins and to promote the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, building the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for those who've come this morning, and Lord, those that need miracles today, I ask you to grant it. If there's one that needs healing this morning that has not yet received it, I ask you, Lord, to give healing. 
If there's one who needs spiritual peace this morning, who needs salvation, Lord, I pray that they would simply yield to you this morning and receive the greatest gift of all, greater than healing, greater than any other miracle that we could have today is the salvation of the soul. And Lord, I just ask you to bless right now this people that are here today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and we give you the glory and the praise for all that you have done, all of the things that we have shared this morning. We know that it's out of your grace and your love for the souls of men that you gave these miracles down through our years of ministry. We praise you for it this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I know you're going to be late to the restaurant. You're going to have to wait in line. Please don't hate me. Love you, and, and thank you for coming this morning. Pastor C.J. will be back as soon as he accomplishes his, his mission in Illinois. And uh, I'll look forward to hearing him preach again. God bless you.